Uh, before we get into the message, um, Eric Pigman, the, the president of the Eureka Area Food Pantry, wanted to come and kind of give us an update on the food pantry and its vision and, and how we're partnering with them. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning. In 1985, the Methodist Church here in Eureka um, started a, a food pantry. It was three ladies uh, brought food out of their uh, out of their house and put it in a closet at the church and started feeding people uh, that needed food every once in a while. Uh, over the last whatever that is, 30, <laughs> um, 27 years, 28 years. Uh, the food pantry has grown immensely, and uh, it got large enough that uh, the Methodist Church purchased a building um, in 2008, and uh, that building is now uh, a couple blocks over, right behind the alley from uh, Hux. Hux? Is that right? The gas station right there? Okay. Uh, the Hux gas station, and uh, it's the old farmer's insurance building, I think. Um, but that building is where uh, the food pantry serves approximately 100 families every month, um, enough food to, you know, to last a, a week or so uh, during the month. It's not, you know, it's not a, a replacement for the whole month, but um, there's a lot of families in this community that are served uh, through the food pantry, and um, there's a lot of people in this community that give of their time and their resources to the food pantry. And like I said, the, this building was purchased in 2008, and I think it was 100 and, about 110 thousand dollars for the for the building. Um, and the building is being paid for by the community. Um, the Methodist Church will retain ownership of it, and that sometimes people get a little confused on who owns the church. Is it the food pantry, or who owns the food pantry? Is it the the pantry itself? Or, um, but we over the last couple of years, it was um, it was voted on that we would we the the food pantry board um, would rent the food pantry from the uh, Methodist Church for a dollar a year. It's kind of steep. Um, <laughs> I tried to get it down to 50 cents, but they wouldn't go for it. So but we, we pay a dollar a year for rent, and we have a 20-year lease. Um, and that, that is going to allow the food pantry, you know, the ability to continue uh, well into the future. Um, but again, we, uh, the Methodist Church wants to have no debt on that building. Um, and so the community has been... been uh, purchasing that building over the last few years in a building fund um, when money gets donated to the food pantry there's two ways to donate one is to food and one is to the building fund um, there's about 20 ish thousand there's not an exact dollar figure because they're still working on um, last year's numbers and I haven't gotten those yet but it's about twenty thousand dollars that remains um, there's a fundraiser going on and uh, within the community and within the churches, the 12 churches that support the food pantry, uh, as well as all the local businesses. And uh, the, the hope is and the prayer is that uh, we get the, the building paid off this year. And so there's a, uh, I brought in some forms that look like this, and they're, they're on the back table. Uh, and it gives a little bit of, little bit of the history 
on, uh, on the food pantry, and it gives you an opportunity to donate to the building fund so that maybe we can get this thing paid off, and uh, then there's not that debt that's sitting on the, uh, the Methodist Church's books. Um, the, the community of Eureka has overwhelmingly supported the food pantry. Um, you know, we, uh, as, as a board, you know, we, we look at the budget every month uh, when we get together, and um, you know, towards the fall, I think there were, there were some in the board that were nervous that the, uh, the, the amount of people that we serve had increased, again, considerably, and the cost of food has gone up, as we all know, and so, you know, it's becoming more expensive each month to, to operate the food pantry. And so, you know, there were some, uh, uh, some nervous people that were, you know, were not sure if the money was going to be there um, to maintain uh, the operation as, as it was going. And, um, but this community, the, the high school FFA provides uh, 10,700 pounds of food, uh, which probably come out of a lot of your cabinets and pantries. Um, but 10,000 pounds of food is huge. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but at the end of the year, you know, the, uh, the balance on the checkbook actually increased. And, you know, um, the only thing that I, that I, that I remind the board is, you know, it's, it's in God's hands and he will continue to provide regardless, in spite of us, um, in spite of our doubt, in, in spite of you know how we personally feel, you know finances look or whatever, God takes care of it, and He always does, and He always will. Um, the reason I'm here is I wanted to invite you, uh, give you an opportunity to uh, uh, be part of purchasing the building, and on the sheet of paper, if if you wanted to, you can actually um, we have a couple uh, wood plaques in the in the pantry that are in memory of, and, and uh, if you wanted to donate money to the, pay, to the building fund and have it in memory of somebody, we'll, we'll put, you know, engrave the uh, name on, the, on a plate and put it on the plaque. Um, but that's all I have. I will be here after. If you have any questions about the food pantry, if you have questions about um, making donations to the food pantry, and if you want, these are back on the guest, con yes. guest connection center. I don't say that one in the morning, do I? Uh, but these are back on the Guest Connection Center table. And so even if you're thinking about it, there's enough back there, feel free to take one. Uh, take one, read it. If you don't want to donate, throw it in the garbage. Find somebody that wants to donate, uh, give it to them. Um, but even if you just read it and, and uh, take it with you. Thank you much. Thanks, Peg. Um. <clears throat> Man, I, uh, following worship, I honestly, I could just uh, wrap up right now and go home. Um, I, at the end of the day, I, I really hope that that last song that we were singing, I mean, I, I couldn't even muster the songs. I uh, couldn't even muster the words. But I, I mean, I pray that those words that we were singing are actually a reflection of our heart and that we just, boy, we just want the gospel to take up new ground and we just want to see lives change for his glory. And I, I pray that that is our is our heart, and uh, it's it's just a it's such a fitting place to where we're going as a church, and and even today's message. Um, I'm just fair warn you, I I got a lot to say today, and um, so just settle on into your comfy chairs, and um, I'll keep standing, and we'll keep going. All right. Um, 
You know when you uh, when you leave the <clears throat> when your kids leave the house if you have kids or they go to the friend's house or uh, they go somewhere without you, and right before you walk out or they walk out, you're like give these short little bursts of encouragement and um, reminders, like brush your teeth, say thank you, uh, go to bed on time, don't stay up all night, others before self, don't just play video games. I mean, I love you. Oh yeah, we got to remind them I love you too, and uh, be thankful for what you eat. Don't roll your eyes or anything. I mean, if you have a, if you have a child, this this probably you've had that kind of scenario or. Or, I mean, for us, college is four or five years away, so I'm thankful for that. But imagine, you know, just saying your child off to college, you've, you've done this, many of you are to live elsewhere, and you have these, these moments where you're giving them a bunch of reminders, or you're driving to someone's house, or a uh, family gathering that you got invited to, and you have small kids, and so the, the car ride is filled with things like use your manners, share, don't whine, say thank you. Um, for, am I the only parent like this? I, uh, be, just give hugs, be thankful for whatever they give you, okay? Um, you know, be, be careful with their stuff, right? You know what I'm talking about? Well, today's message is kind of like that. Uh, I called it etc., uh, which means basically and all other things. Um, basically, I can't make up my mind. I don't feel like the Lord's asked me to pin it down to one thing, so I got five things. This is not my typical kind of message. If I was a real pastor, I would turn this into an acrostic, or they'd all start with the same letter. I'm not a real pastor, I guess. So we just got five things to say, and five things the Lord has put on my heart. The, the, the series is ending today. I'm just going to jam them all into one message. All right? Fair enough? Okay. They're just reminders of truth and vision as we embark on this journey as a church family. So I want to imagine that, uh, I listen, I'm not driving this, uh, we're all in the back seat. We're all the little kids in the back seat, and the Lord is the one driving. I'm not the one sharing these words. Ultimately, I pray that we're just open to the, the Father's voice, the Father's um, uh, truth in our hearts today, that we just kind of sit in the back seat and just listen to Dad and, and be changed, and we'd be receptive to that. This is my, my hope is for my own kids, that they'd actually be receptive to what I have to say. And so I just pray that we would have our hearts just kind of tender and humble before the Lord and that we would be open to what our Heavenly Father wants to say to us. Uh, first thought here is this season is a catalyst in the life of Crosspoint. A catalyst is a thing or a, a person that causes change. In your chemistry day, days, which I you know, kept to a very minimum, my chemistry days, one class in high school, college, I'm not taking chemistry. Can I get out of science? Can I get out of math? Yes, I can. All right, I'll take that major. I mean, that was some of my logic. But chemistry days, when you, when you think back to it, uh, the, the catalyst that was, was the thing that just caused the reaction. You just kind of dropped it into the experiment and it caused a reaction. We are praying that this season is a catalyst in the life of our, of our, life of our church and our individual lives. And that by launching a second service, it opens up more room for more people to hear the good news of Jesus and be changed by the power of the gospel. That through this change, people would find ministries to serve in. When, when, when things get shaken up, it just seems like the Holy Spirit causes change and wants to cause change in our hearts if we're open to it. If we don't just kind of resist it like an Israelite, but we just, if we're open to it, the Holy Spirit uses change to bring about change in our own hearts and lives. Change is a natural part of any healthy, growing, New Testament, missional, God-glorifying, God-seeking church. If you're a parent, your hope is that your children will grow and develop and mature. And this is the heart of, the heavenly, of our Heavenly Father as well, that His children would mature in our faith and our, and our trust in and our love for Him would only increase and deepen over time. 
It's his heart for his church, the, the body of Christ as well. Ephesians 4 speaks of this. Starting in verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So you get this picture of of individual believers growing and maturing in their faith. And then as a result, this leading to the whole body joined together, uh, uh, growing and building itself up in love. So not only is our spiritual growth individual, but it's, it's corporate it's as a church family. I, I found in my own life that God often uses change as a catalyst to bring about this growth in my heart and life. It's as if I'm just walking along, doing my thing, and then boom, God drops this change, this catalyst into the experiment, into my life, into the middle of my world. So, so you're comfortable with that corporate job, huh, Dave? Uh, how about I call you to be a pastor? Oh. That wasn't necessarily the response, but some, sometimes, um, let's be honest. I mean, or, or uh, so you're comfortable with that level of income? Mm, how about I lower that level of income so you'll trust in me more because ultimately I'm the provider. Oh, so you're comfortable with that sin in your life. How about I expose that to the light? How about I expose that so that you can find freedom and forgiveness from it? I mean, you get the idea, have you seen this in your life? Have you seen how, how God uses change to bring about what He wants to do in your heart and in your life, in your family, and in your church? We know this is a big change for us as a church, moving from one to two services. Thus, we're talking about it weeks in advance to, to prepare. We, we've experienced big changes before, and God has proven faithful in those seasons. We're nine and a half years old as a church, so not even 10 years ago, we were not doing a Sunday service. I mean, many of you, your children weren't born yet, or, or if you're married, you, you weren't married at that point, or 10 years, it, it, it feels very quick. We go from that point of meeting as, as a small group in our home prior to Sunday mornings to meeting at a storefront for two years or two and a half years, meeting at a school, being mobile for, uh, for six years, and then being here the last nine or 10 months, all the while taking steps of faith as a growing, unified church family. For example, just a I think it's good to remember the Israelites just continually for, forgot, continually just failed to remember what God had done. I think it's good for us to do that because we're reminded of, of the God that we serve and worship and His, and His mighty and His, His power. Two years into our journey, the, uh, the financial support for our, from our sending church, New Life Christian, stopped. It wasn't because of conflict. It was just like, hey, we're, we're going to launch you out for two years, but after that, you've got to stand on your own. And, and God met our needs. It was just like, a, really? Okay, oh, I don't know how we're going to cover salary and rent and all these different things, but God met our needs. And, and actually around that time, he met our needs so much so that missions work could begin right about that same time. Two and a half years into our journey, we, we outgrew the storefront that we were using. And I remember thinking, uh, how can we fit one more chair into this room? 
I mean, can we knock out this giant black block wall and could we I mean, just squeeze out one more chair? And, and God just, oh, just worked over my heart that sometimes is resistant to change and used the vision of, of, of Pastor Jeff at the time just to, to continue to kind of work me over and humble me and, 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 and changing my heart. And, and, and as a church, we took this leap of faith and, and went mobile, and, and, uh, uh, meaning that we're going to require all these setup and tear down volunteers, lots of volunteers. And through that change, God was faithful. It opened up more space for more people and the good news of Jesus reached more. In the six years of being mobile as a, as a, at the school, we baptized uh, 75 children, students, adults. What, 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 what if we'd resisted, what if we'd resisted that in, in 2006? What, what if we just said, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. We, I don't, I don't want to take that step of faith. I'm so thankful we, we said yes, and we continue to say yes to his calling. The ability to flex and change is just part of our DNA as a church. It always has been. About a month ago, we got our fireplace fixed at our house. And I mean, I love a good wood, wood-burning fireplace, um, all the cracking, the popping, all those kind of things. And you know the drill, when the fire starts to die down a bit, you poke at those logs and the, and the hot coals kind of fall off. And, um, it, but then the fire gets going again and the flames brighten up a little bit. My hope is that in this season of change that we allow the Holy Spirit to poke and prod us a little bit. He's doing that in my own heart right now to disrupt our current ways of doing things, to disrupt our, our, our current way of thinking, our current way of acting, our current way of, of worshiping Him, just, just kind of disrupting and poking and prodding a little bit so that the fire might increase. So our warmth of our, of our love for others our love for the lost, our love for the Lord would, would increase our, our trust in God's control, His sovereignty, His power to deepen, that our, our passion to reach the lost would just surge and we'd be willing to, to do whatever it takes. A few weeks ago, I felt like the Lord uh, told me to start reading through the book of Acts. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, here's a recap of how Acts fits into the overall story of scripture the the new testament begins with the four gospels matthew mark luke and john telling the telling the birth life death and uh, resurrection of jesus christ then the book of acts opens up with this uh, with the resurrected jesus telling his disciples to wait for the holy spirit to come and jesus promised that that when he would ascend to heaven the spirit of god would come and be poured out to all believers who are in christ and jesus ascends to heaven and a replacement is chosen for the disciple judas who had betrayed jesus and then Acts 2 hits, and, and the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and, and, and Peter stands up to uh, begin preaching the good news to the crowd. It starts in Acts 2.14, if you want to read it this week. And he explains to them who Jesus is, and that he was the Son of God, and God raised him from the dead, and you all crucified him. You all killed him. And the Bible says the people were cut to the heart, deeply convicted of this truth and their sin, and they began to ask Peter, what shall we do? How, do? how do we respond to this message? And Peter told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus began his ministry with the same kind of message. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, Mark 1.15. Repent, meaning turn from your sin, your thinking, your way of life, and surrender to Jesus and his lordship. 
believe in who Jesus is and what He's done on the cross and the resurrection and confess Him as Lord and Savior and walk in faithfulness to the Lord. Which is the same message that Jesus preaches to us today. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from your sin and walk in faithfulness to Him. Acts 2.41 tells us what, what, how the people responded to Peter's invitation. It says those who accepted His message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. Acts 1 tells us that prior to that day, there were about 120 believers or followers of Christ. So, so the church goes from 120 to 3,120 in one day. And, and, and we think 10% growth in, in a year is like, whoa, there's a lot of new faces around here. I mean, that, this is 2,000, I had to use a calculator for this, 2,500% growth in one day. I, I mean, this just, just blows my mind. And the book of Acts kind of tells this story of, of the early church. And, and as I read Acts and, and books like, like Ephesians, Corinthians, Galatians, these letters written to believers, these letters written to these church plants, I see these major truths and they're so applicable to the life of Crosspoint now. And here's one of them, that, that they continue to preach the good news of Jesus everywhere. The vision of making disciples was absolutely clear. One of the obstacles we face as a church is, is a loss of vision as we grow. I can tell you from the very start, Crosspoint's vision has been about to, to reach those who don't know Jesus yet and to make disciples. That vision has not and will not change. Those are marching orders from Jesus. Those are words written in red. We don't tinker with those. We don't try to reformat those. This is our marching orders. As Crosspoint grows, the temptation, though, we face We've said it before, and I'm going to continue to say it, is that as we grow, we kind of slip into this maintenance mentality, gradually spending more and more physical energy and resources directed toward the maintenance of the organization instead of the mission of the organization. And and as a result, the the comfort and complacency that just kind of becomes our, our attitude stalls out the church's desire to obey Jesus and go and make disciples. I mean, th- there are some winter mornings, maybe you can relate, um, but we're, we're the winter mornings when the, the alarm goes off, and I think, it's so cold out there. I mean, that could be a result of us cranking down the thermostat because we're cheap, but, um, but I think it's, <laughs> but I just think it's so warm under these covers, I don't want to go out there, right? Can you relate to that? And when it comes to our pursuit of the Great Commission, we can sadly have the exact same attitude we think it's so warm and comfortable in here i don't want to go out there and engage my friends in conversation about jesus or my faith i don't want to get into the messiness of someone's world or share in their pain or step into their brokenness and be jesus to them i just just don't want to do that can i just text him from my bed (laughs) can i tweet something to them then I won't get unclean. This is what we think sometimes. And Jesus is saying, get out from underneath the covers. Go be a friend to somebody. Go be Jesus to somebody. Step into someone's world. If you've been saved by Jesus, you've got a story and a faith to share. You've been divinely put into your your families, your workplaces, your schools, your circles of friends. You've been divinely put there to be salt and light 
to be a witness to this world, Acts 1.8. To go and make disciples, Matthew 28. To speak of his good news. Jesus, here's what, he didn't just lob random shots across the wall at the lost. He, he's Emmanuel. He came to this earth to engage in life, to engage in, in relationship as messy and broken as it is sometimes, as painful as it, as it is sometimes. He didn't just lob shots. He went across that wall. He tore down the veil so that he could be in relationship, so that he could rescue because he was on a mission. And now he sends us on a mission because those of us who are believers here have been reconciled and now are to carry that message of reconciliation to the world around us. And we carry that through relationship, through friendship, through being salt and light. The early church was driven to reach people. They didn't stop preaching the good news after 3,000 got saved. They didn't wrap it up and be like, okay, that was good. Great message, Peter. No, he probably got back up the next week and gave another message. I mean, it only spurred them on in a greater way. Missionaries were being sent. Churches were being planted. Disciples of Jesus were not seeking after comfort or safety. They were living boldly, sacrificially. The love, forgiveness, and salvation they'd found in Jesus was driving them to share their love with others. Listen to these verses from Acts 8. And keep in mind, in Acts 8, the church is being persecuted and attacked. Paul is not Paul. He's Saul at this point. He is, he is an enemy of, of God and his church. But this persecution just only seemed to embolden their faith. They didn't relinquish from it. They didn't back down. They didn't wilt. They just leaned into it. Acts 8, four different verses. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Verse 25, when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus good news of Jesus, the gospel, the word. Have you heard about Jesus? He lived, he died, he rose again. He's coming back. He, he was killed, but the stone was rolled away. We have all these eyewitnesses, all these accounts. He was the son of God. He came to take away the sins. And, and he, now he offers salvation through grace alone, through faith alone, not by works. Not, you don't have to earn this. It's something you receive. So repent of your sin and come on, let's follow Jesus together. This was their message. They didn't wilt from it. They didn't back down from it. But they engaged in relationship, as messy as it is sometimes. Until Jesus returns, our mission will remain the same. To reach the lost, it's not going to change. To reach the lost, to go after the lost sheep, to make disciples, to be witnesses to the world around us. And so we reject comfort. And we, we reject this pull inward that says, serve me, make me the center Instead, we say, we'll serve others. We'll make Jesus the center. We'll make much of him. Here's another truth I see in the early church. They were radically generous with their money. Acts 2, 44 and 45. Acts 4, 32 through 35. A couple references. Well worth your time this week to look at. Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, he, he remarks of the generosity of the believers in Macedonia. He says this, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 
starting in verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. These early believers were never in question on who truly was Lord in their life. And Jesus is just kind of relentlessly, because he loves us, he's relentlessly going after control of our hearts. Because our hearts is, what we, is where we treasure uh, most. I mean, it's where we know what we truly worship, what we value, what we treasure. And in the early church, you, you see hearts that are wide open to Jesus being Lord in every area of life. They were not just looking for a get-out-of-hell-free get out card, but they were reordering their entire lives, their entire lives, not just, just, not just this one part, not just 75%. 100% reordering them around Jesus Christ. And so they generously and sacrificially gave to meet the needs of others, to spread the gospel through the work of the local church. Many of you here at Crosspoint give faithfully and generously and cheerfully, I pray, and sacrificially and reflect what Paul is talking about here in the Macedonian church. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving, not to pay the bills, but in pursuit of, of a vision because people matter. Giving out of obedience to the great commandment because loving God and loving others is not just something we say, but it's something we, we, we do. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, we're not after your money. We want you to get to know Jesus. Give your heart and life to Him to repent and believe the good news. If you're here and you do know Christ and you are a believer and you call Crosspoint your church home and you're not giving, I, my encouragement is to give. Not to pay the bills, not because your pastor said so, but because we are after loving God and loving others because people matter, because we want to see the kingdom advance. We want to see the gospel spread, not only in this world, not only in this area, but around this world. Um, Jesus said that... Uh, when we, when we store it up, store up our treasure in heaven, it's, it's eternal and it's, it's lasting. It doesn't just fade away. Here's another thought. We, we have experienced, we are currently experiencing, and we will experience spiritual warfare as a church. When it comes to spiritual warfare, I mean, that, that phrase, like, um, uh, sometimes we have a couple, two incorrect views we either think it it's, isn't happening, like, oh, this is kind of silly, come on. Spiritual warfare, another Frank Freddy book, come on. I mean, and so we just think, yeah, that's whatever. That's just kind of something we see on movies. Or we attribute everything to the devil's schemes, like, oh, the red light, you devil. <laughs> Maybe you just timed it out wrong. Or, oh, I got a flat tire, you devil. Maybe you just hit a nail. I don't know. Uh, but, but sometimes we just kind of attribute everything to the enemy's schemes. A couple of verses to consider. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, Be self-controlled and alert. Your, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. <laughs> Ephesians 6, 11, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. So, so spiritual warfare is real, and that's just a couple of references. Acts 20, Paul kind of charges the Ephesian elders. 
that warfare, that wolves are going to come. So spiritual warfare is real. The, the, the mission statement of the devil is real simple. It's even simpler than building 3D relationships. Jesus told, told us what it was in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. At the end of the day, this is what the enemy would love to do. He loves to steal joy, kill relationships, destroy ministries, destroy lives. He loves to kill marriages, friendships. He loves to attack unity, bring division, put, on, uh, put, put an end to healthy, growing, God-glorifying churches. It's the devil's goal of any church. I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm just trying to bring attention and perspective to his plans. If, if we got a hold of the enemy's playbook, this is what it would be. Steal, kill, destroy. Three words. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? And here's a scenario that happens in our home. Uh, you may or may not be able to relate to it. It happened much more when our kids were younger, but it can still just kind of pop up its head on a on a cold winter day like this or maybe a rainy day or just kind of a, a summer day that, um, uh, that, you know, kids get out of school. And it goes something like this. One or two of our kids, we have two kids, Maddie and Eli, 13 and 11, but one or both of our kids choose to be bored. Notice I choose. They don't get bored. It doesn't happen to them. They choose to be bored. There's more than enough opportunities to things to do around our home. And um, so it, it sounds like this. Hey, stop touching me. Get out of my room. You're not my mom. Eli, Maddie, poke, poke. Get out of my face. Leave me alone. Stop bothering me. Right? Maybe, maybe you have the perfect family. I don't know. But this is just how it works. And, um, but as, I, as a parent, I'd say the, past the initial frustration, annoyance, anger sometimes, it, it grieves our hearts to see our children not get along. And more often than not, it happens when they choose to be bored or they just kind of have idle hands. But when they work on something together, when they have this clear purpose, whether it's cleaning, working outside, building something together, I mean, then it's just like this beautiful thing. It's like Heather and I look at each other, hey, we're... I think we might be doing something right. I mean, they're, oh, look, look at that, hey. And we got to remember that. And I, I think Christians get into trouble when we choose to be bored. When we forget the mission. When we lose sight of Jesus calling us to love one another. And by our love, the world will know that we are his disciples. When we forget that we are called to go and make disciples as a way of life. I mean, it's a beautiful, unstoppable force when the body of Christ is unified and practicing the one another's found in Scripture. The devil's schemes are ultimately trying to lead to that accomplishment of a vision to steal, kill, and destroy. But so if we're aware of that, then we can start to identify some of these schemes. Scripture identifies them for us. These schemes like, like gossip among believers often disguised as, hey, we need to pray for them. Did, did you hear what's happening with them? And then we talk 15 minutes about it, and we, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll pray for them this week instead of just spending 15 minutes in prayer. Or, or, or we get around conversations of, what's wrong with the church? And we just kind of play this armchair quarterback type role, and, and our community is around that versus Jesus. And so we talk about what's wrong with them instead of what's wrong with, in our own hearts, our own walk with the Lord. Or the devil's schemes of unresolved conflict or hurt or bitterness. 
We so often neglect the teaching of Matthew 18 when it comes to resolving conflict. We just do this all the time. Instead of going to the person who hurt us, instead of going to the person that we have a conflict or issue with, we go to someone else. It's destroying the church. I'm not just talking about crosspoint. It's destroying it's destroying the kingdom of God. When we try to recruit, hey, would you pick up your picket? Come on, join my campaign. Instead of practicing what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 18. Or, or we just try to stuff it away thinking it'll go away. It's, it's no big deal. But then this splinter begins to fester and it leads to an affection of the heart and a bitter root develops. Sometimes, if we're honest, it's just kind of pettiness or confusion. I, I once had a friend tell me, I, I sent you an email months ago, but, but I never got anything back. I, I figured you were just ignoring me. No, not at all. I just never saw the email. I, I, never, I don't know where it went in the outer, outer space or some telephone line or whatever, I, I, but it didn't make it to me. I'm sorry. And so this perception, we, we begin to read into things and in we perceive something versus what, what is reality. Crosspoint, especially in this season, especially in a season of change, growth, movement, the enemy is out to fulfill his vision to steal, kill, and destroy. In the last month, I'll just tell you, it's intensified. Once again, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm not a melodramatic guy, if you know me. Um, I'm just trying to be straight up with you. Um, the, The enemy would love to birth in you and me this spirit of fear, discouragement, division, hurt, bitterness, pride, worry, anger. I mean, this is what he's trying to do. And if we just take a step back, oh, mm, that's not a work of the Holy Spirit. That, that's a scheme of the enemy. Oh, that thing in my heart. Mm, God's calling me to repent of that. God's calling me to confess that, practice and believe the truth of 1 John 1.9. The devil doesn't want more to know about Jesus. He doesn't want the kingdom of God to expand. He doesn't want to see your faith grow, your love to grow. He wants to see it just kind of stifle. We can't let the devil have a foothold in our lives or in our hearts. For some of you, if we're honest, it's already there. That foothold's already there. It's time to have a humble conversation, covered in grace, covered in the gospel, to love one another because we've been so greatly loved by him to repent of the sin and that wayward attitude that sits in our hearts and pursue humility and righteousness in Christ. The body of Christ is what I sometimes call, I'm I'm sure it's not my phrase, but what I call a glorious mess. We are a broken, fallen, imperfect people who are being saved by grace alone, by this great almighty God through his great son and being empowered by God's great spirit. And as a result, Jesus takes on our sin and we are clothed in his righteousness and yet we still stumble. We are still in process of being sanctified and made more like Jesus. And that isn't always pretty. And speaking just for me, I mess up. I blow it. I say careless words sometimes. Ask my wife. Ask my children. I don't always put others before myself. My pride can be an ugly, ugly thing. And yet in the midst of community and relationships, this is where God is lovingly transforming me and making me more like Jesus. We, we often want to run from community because of our brokenness. Because we don't want to reveal, ah, oh, this, is, 
This is what's wrong. But in community, this is where it happens. Because I've found that what it, what it means to forgive and make right and truly love beyond the superficial. The Lord teaches me this in the, in the beautiful, in the, in the midst of the glorious, messy, beautiful, redemptive, powerful, loving, grace-filled body of Christ. And maybe you're with us today and you're like, well, shoot, I was looking for the perfect church. I had heard word on the street. No, no, sorry. Not perfect pastors either. Perfect people aren't allowed around here. Um, we're still in process, making progress by the grace of God. We boast in our weakness and by doing so make much of our Savior. Jesus gets all the glory around here and that leads to my, my last thought. We are following Jesus together in community with one another. We are in this together, Crosspoint family. The early church experienced this huge growth, and yet community and care for one another happened. You see it in Acts 2, you see it in Acts 4, you see in Acts 6 of how there was a gap in ministry, but believers were equipped and sent out on ministry, and that gap was covered up, and, 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 and needs were met. And then as a result, growth happened. Acts 6. Another obstacle we face is not just a loss of vision, but a lack of member care. And as we grow, the perception is that we only care about the organization at large, but not the individuals who make up the body. Nothing could be further from the truth. And if you're believing that, it's just a scheme of the enemy. It's just a scheme of the enemy. And I'm not just speaking on behalf of me, but of the elders and staff and leaders around here. It's not just the oversight of the church, but it's the shepherding of people. If, if you're a parent, you didn't love the first or second child less after having the third or fourth. It was just like God does this crazy, miraculous, blows up your heart, and suddenly you have this massive love for no matter how many kids are in the family. And so we don't love the person who's been here uh, serving faithfully and growing, and we don't love them less or more then the person who just walked in is wanting to grow in their faith and find out what it means to follow Jesus and, and become a disciple or, or to find a church home. As a pastor, I'm walking out this tension more and more lately. I literally don't have enough hours in the day to make personal weekly contact with over, the, over 500, approaching 600 people that call, call, call Crosspoint their church home. I'm not trying to be melodramatic today. I'm really not. But I, I, I can't be a husband and father and still do that. And that, as you can tell, is a difficult shift for me to make. It kills me sometimes. It absolutely kills me. But the New Testament church was never designed to function where all care, shepherding, discipling, teaching originated with one person. It's not the New Testament model. Instead, the body of Christ is most effective when the body of Christ is ministering to one another, where Jesus sits at the center, not the pastor. You can find another pastor. We can't find another Savior. He is who sits at the center. This is why you and I getting involved in 3D community is so important. It's not just the, this cliche of 3D community. But it's important 
for our walk with the Lord, to have a community of people who know us and you know them. In Acts 2, the church, I mean, just explodes. It's 120 to over 3,100. And then Acts 2, 42 through 47, tell us how the church responded. They, they met in homes. They ate together. They prayed together. They did life together. They learned the word together. Their, their faith grew and they reached their neighbors and their number of them grew daily, Scripture tells us. It's through community where we see member care, encouragement, discipling, outreach, ministry. It's in community where those things are multiplied. It's not just added, but it's multiplied. If you're not in a 3D community group, get in one this semester. If God is leading you to start a group, then talk to us. We start a new series called Soul Detox, uh, Clean Living in a Contaminated World. I think it's going to be timely. I think it's going to be, uh, I'm just, I'm encouraged, I'm excited about it. But we start that series next week. And for the most part, mine is like Mom's Gift and uh, Mint Saturday Morning and groups like that. Uh, all our groups are going to walk through this curriculum. And so we're unified, wrestling these things together as a church family. And I think it's going to lead to some great life change, some great just personal conversation and discussion and sharing. Uh, all the leaders, you're wondering why all these orange shirts are going on. Um, all the leaders are in orange shirts today. A few leaders will be back at Guest Connections. There's a listing of groups in your program. Two other groups that aren't listed, Jason and Carrie Gold on Wednesday nights and uh, Mike and Brenda Troth on Monday nights. Opportunities, living rooms, couches, chairs for us to gather together and practice Acts 2, 42 through 47 in community. Community is not just something we go to, but it's the way of life for, for a believer. I was, <clears throat> I was reminded of that again this last week as I sat in a hospital room with a family who just lost someone they dearly loved. This verse that kept coming to my mind was uh, Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. I mean, there are two Crosspoint families right now who experienced loss this last week. Logan and Kara Reuter and the loss of Kara's dad, Kevin. And Derek and uh, Becca Fair and the loss of their brother-in-law, Jim Lehman. Crosspoint, be, be praying for these families right now. Listen, it's not like community removes the pain. But when we walk through trials and hurt and loss, we have others to walk with us. I mean, some of you, you've been around for years. You, as a church, we've walked through some stuff together. But it's been in community. To, because in community, we're, we're able to pray with one another and love one another and just be present with one another. To mourn together, to hug, to hold, to pour out emotion to one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. In community, we also celebrate. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Two Crosspoint families are expecting babies in August. Mark and Ashley Stalter and uh, Greg and Gina Dunbar. A new child. What a, what a precious. You can clap. That's fine. You have the liberty to interrupt me at any time if you like to clap. If you like to shout and throw something, well, I don't know. Wait till. Dan Murphy's here. Um, or maybe that was John. I don't know. But I mean, uh, a child, what a precious gift from the Lord. And so in community, we rejoice with one another. Oh, look at God's grace. Look at how good he's been. I'm sorry. And we just hold each other sometimes too. As the church is growing, it doesn't diminish the community we have with one another. It only multiplies it. 
As the family gets bigger and more brothers and sisters are in the family, it doesn't decrease our love for one another. It only gives us more people to love and more people to do life with. And so I pray that we allow the Lord to change in us what He wants to do in this season of change. May the good news remain central. Our vision of reaching the lost and going and making disciples just be absolutely at our core. It's been that way for nine and a half years. May we not change that at all. May we be radically generous with the money that God has given to us, invested into the kingdom, invested into eternal things. And may we be aware of the devil's schemes, his plans to, to steal, kill, and destroy so we can put on the full armor of God and resist those foolish, foolish schemes and instead pursue unity and love under the authority of Christ with one another. Ephesians 4.3, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And may we also remember that we are family. Jesus died so that you and I might find salvation and as a result be adopted into the family of God and be family, be brothers and sisters. So may we not forget that we are family. Looking to grow in our, in our love and our devotion to Jesus, our, our love and our dedication to one another, and our drive to reach more, our, our love for those who don't know Jesus yet. May it drive us to build relationships, not only with our Lord, not only with one another, but also with those who don't know Him yet. That is our heart. That's our vision. And I pray we may pursue that for the glory of God, not for ours. It has nothing to do with Crosspoint. It has everything to do with the kingdom of God. And may we pursue it for His glory. Father God, I thank You for who You are. I thank You for the call that You have on our lives to love You with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have talked about much today. And God, I, I know you're just working on my own heart um, in this season, and uh, I pray that we would be open to the Holy Spirit's work in us. We would allow the Word of God to uh, teach, correct, rebuke, and encourage us, train us for righteousness, train us for this life. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory. I just pray that... Uh, we would remain open to your Spirit's work and we would take action on those promptings, those nudges, those convictions that you put on our hearts. We love you. We love you. We thank you for your unfailing love for us, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, and your salvation found through Christ alone. Thank you for the gospel. I pray that we would be good stewards of that good news this week. We would... Uh, we would love you, we would love others, and we would make disciples in the different areas, different families, households, workplaces, schools that you've called us to. We love you, Jesus. All for your glory, in your name. Amen. There will be uh, leaders at Guest Connections to help connect you to a community group if you need one. All right, feel free to talk to somebody in an orange shirt. They can answer any questions about community group. Next week, breakfast, breaking bread together, Acts 2, it's timely. 8.30 in the morning, rise and shine, all right? And uh, see you then. God bless. Have a good week.